into some word this morning. Um, I'm going to start with in Romans um, chapter 16, verse 19. It says, For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. I want to teach this morning from a title, Don't Overthink Being a Christian. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the people that have come out, Lord. Uh, we know that you are here and among your, their midst. Lord, we want you to move this morning. We want to hear your word. We want to be taught something. We want to learn something, Lord. I just pray that our ears are open, our hearts are open, and that your word would resonate through us this morning. In Jesus' name. So, don't overthink being a Christian. Um, do you know that we can overanalyze a little bit these days? I mean, I, I think everybody can. It used to be, it used to be like bosses would overanalyze, um, and then it got to be workers being overanalyzing, and and parents would overanalyze, and children now are overanalyzing. Um, part of it is because we are in an age of super technology. I mean, we have all the information at our fingertips of anything that we, wanted to, that we want, we want to know, we want to do. I mean, it's just there. Um, I know that most people in this room at some point had to do some sort of report in high school and you had to go to whatever CAD card, uh, card catalogs and go to the library and you have to look up stuff and it was like this is just whack I mean you know you used to have encyclopedias and you go through the encyclopedia and here's the bad thing about the encyclopedia is by the time you reported it chances are it was different anyway and all those books that were printed were wrong anyway you had to do all that stuff at the bottom and yeah it just it was a hassle I mean it was a pain it really was I give I mean good golly you got to give credit to the people I mean think about the people that go into the the Bible that research the Bible the theologians that go back and forth and it's like you you, you look into a study Bible and just the very beginning and they talk about when something was written and it was like well Paul wrote that probably in Corinth because this coincides with that you know, do you know how much history and scripture stuff, just to learn that one little bitty thing? I mean, there is just so much. Now, all you do is you just, uh, when was Paul in Corinth? There it is. Um, when, was, you know, when did this happen? When did that happen? I mean, we've gotten so bad. Could you imagine being a lawyer or a doctor these days? I mean, my daughter is a lawyer, and she's uh, a practicing attorney in Green Cove Springs. And dude, I do it all the time. I, there was something going down with a will, and I'm like, well, that's not right. Florida says this. Stay, I Googled it, you know? And she's looking at me like I'm crazy, like, no, that's not right, <laughs> you know? Because this is in this instance, because there's sections and subsections and subsections on everything. And, and then I thought I was, you know, uh, you know I'm, I'm smart, right? So, and... Um, I've been known to drive fast, and you guys have been known that that's the case. And um, sometimes I don't like wearing my seatbelt. Um, the, 
The biggest reason I don't like wearing my seatbelt is because they don't make motorcyclists wear helmets. I'll just be honest with you. They can, they can die sitting at a stoplight, fall over and whack their head. They, I can't die sitting at a stoplight. Why do I got to wear a seatbelt? Right? If they'll wear a helmet, I'll wear a seatbelt. Well, I eventually got over that. I'll wear a seatbelt. But then I found out by Googling that in my F-250, which is over 5,000 pounds, that I don't have to have a seatbelt. So I screenshot that, and I dared any officer to pull me over. I would just, I'd see a cop, and I'd take it off. Drive by. They never pulled me over. And... So I, I made the mistake. I passed that. I sent that screenshot on to a couple of my friends that, you know, had that. Now I got to go back on myself because I found out that a law was passed that I wasn't privy to because I'm not, I don't pay. That's no longer the case. So I'm glad that that dude didn't pull me over because I'd have gone, ha, look at this. And he'd have gone, ha, that was a year ago. Here's your ticket, right? So, um, but we overanalyze everything. Doctors, man. I feel so sorry for my sister's doctors because she Googles everything and walks in with a diagnosis. Don't, I mean, how many people, well, it must be this. Well, I don't know because you can only get that in New Guinea off the coast of Australia. It's the only place it is. Well, I've got all the symptoms. Well, let the doctors be doctors. Let the lawyers be lawyers. Let them do what they're supposed to do. Don't overanalyze. Um, how many times, let me ask you this. Um, how many times have you been questioned by your kids on old, just old stories that we used to have, old theories that we used to have as adults? Um, here's one. I don't know if anyone's heard this, but I did growing up. Um, I used to do work on my car and stuff. I always had, you know, when synthetic oil came out, um, synthetic oil's bomb. That's in all my cars. But I always heard, hey, regular oil is fine, but if you go to synthetic, you can't go back. Right? Well, guess what? You tell that to your kid, and they just Google it, and they go, ah, Dad, that, 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 that was just a myth. That ain't right. And you're like, what? Here I am trying to impart my age-old wisdom on you, tell you, try to help you out. Gasoline. How many of you ever heard? If, you know, you can drive regular in your car all you want, but if you go to, you know, high-octane 93, and then you come, you can't go back. Because if you go back, your car's going to start knocking. They've got so, kids Google it, no, dad, that ain't right, you can't, no, mom, no. I mean, they can, and here's, and that, that brings a whole set of problems in on its own because then they argue with you and that just ain't right. They just need to accept it and go on and, you know, if they want to stay behind your back, but whatever. The point is, we analyze everything that we do and overanalyze it. And pastor on a Wednesday night, um, used a ready-aim-shoot analogy about someone firing a gun. <clears throat> and, you know, some people, proper way to fire the gun is to ready your gun and then aim it and then pull the trigger, right? I mean, you would think that that's really simple. But I know that there's people out there that they, they clean their gun and they load, they unload, they make sure it's right, they get everything ready, they set their targets up, ready they come back up oh that's not exactly right let's go back down let's set it again they get everything ready they get everything ready they get everything ready and very rarely do they even pull the gun up to aim or they take so long then they get ready to aim and then they shoot and then there's other people that just move through they get the stuff ready and then they aim and they aim 
and they aim. And if you've ever shot a gun, you know, you sit there too long and the, the tip starts wobbling on you. And then, you get, and then you're aiming more and you're aiming more and you're aiming more and you don't ever pull that trigger to shoot. And then there's people like me that just shoot, right? It's like, oh, there's a target. Bow! I, when you watch on TV and, they, and they're just shooting the guy and they're just doing this, that ain't real. Because I had a berm about as big as the sound booth back there, about this far. Well, let's just say, because they say you can't hit the broad side of the barn, right? Let's just say this back wall, about as high as this back wall, had a little target, and I was about this far away. And I had my dad, who was a policeman, a police officer, I had his service revolver, a 38. It's just a 38 revolver, nothing special about it. And I'm like, I'm on 40 acres of land, I can't hit anybody. Trees, woods, this far away, and I'm like, I just got to do it. I just got to see. Ba 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 ba. Emptied the gun out. I missed the berm twice because that gun's it's it's all over the place. I mean, you have to right, but that's me. So I'm just a shoot guy, and um, <laughs> so I put this on here, and that's real life. That's real life stuff. Um, Saturday mornings. And John and Wilbert can probably attest to this. Uncle Ken can probably attest to this. But Cedric and I are two opposite people. When we come out in the mornings on a Saturday morning at 7 o'clock and we go to set those tents up, Cedric drives me crazy. I love you, dude. But good golly, I'm ready to walk out. I don't need anybody. Ask Uncle Ken. He's like, when you get... Don't I? I grab the tent and I just start, I tilt it up so only one leg's on and I'm backing up. Dude, I'm, it's, we got to go. It's 7 o'clock. We got people coming at 8. I got to hurry. Come on, let's go. Let's get these tents set up. Let's just pull. And Cedric's like, he's looking, oh, here, let's move this over here. Let's move this over. Oh, my, that piece of, you know, I, I'm going to have to fix it. Well, I know we're going to have to fix it, but we're not going to fix it right now at 7 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning. Come on. And he's still looking at it and pulling the string and everything. And I'm like, huh. So that's, this, is the, this is a revelation for him. I've never told him this before. But this is what we, and in my mind, I'm like, going, Lord, give me patience. Give me patience. So, you know, in, in that instance, I got to be honest. I probably have been, have, have added to breaking that gazebo um, in doing my Aim, shoot, instead of getting ready. And he's probably overanalyzed a little too much because we're not going to fix it before we actually get started. So there is a proper way to do things. And that's what I want to get into today. Romans, it was so cool when, pa um, it wasn't cool when Pastor got COVID, but... Um, it is amazing to me consistently how God has things planned out because it seems like the last three or four times a pastor has asked me to preach, I have gone off on a tangent. Um, I mean, I'll, re I'm, I'll read Proverbs, I'll read the book of the day, and then there's like something that give inside of me, I say something, um, Holy Spirit, inside of me that will give me a desire to read a specific book or study a specific scriptures. And for about the last two weeks, I've been in Romans. It's just, I haven't read through it in a while. It hasn't been our book of the month in a while. And so 
I was really getting into Romans, and I'm like, man, this is so cool. Man, this is so cool. I, ah, I remember that. Now I remember why I like that was always one of my favorite. And you would start hitting different things in Scripture, and then I had the opportunity to talk, and I'm like, wow, I know, I know what I'm going to talk on. I'm going to talk about Romans. Um, but I had to um, determine what in Romans um, to go to. Romans itself, it's a great book on how to be a Christian. Paul wrote Romans about 20 years after his conversion when he was in Corinth, and he wrote it. He hadn't been to Rome yet, but was going to go to Rome. And so he's writing this book, Romans, um, not to people that he knows. If you look at his other books, if you look at Philippians, and you look at Galatians, and you look at Corinthians, if you look at all the different books that Paul is writing, he is addressing specific things that specific churches are doing right, wrong, or what he wants them to continue or to cut out, and how to handle specific situations. Romans is a book that Paul is introducing himself, but he has studied the gospel now, and he is been converted for 20 years so he is full versed in it and he's been teaching in it and so what he's doing with his letter to the Romans is he's setting forth this orderly statement of all these principles that he has taught on how to be a Christian and it is jam-packed on general overviews of how to be a Christian there is so much in the book of Romans that I was thinking, like, you know, if I took this verse by verse and started in verse 1, that, man, I could probably preach for a whole year on the book of Romans. And then I thought, well, that means pastor would be able to preach about seven years on it because, you know, he would take verse 1, um, chapter 1, verse 1, and that would be one Sunday. I mean, he, it, like, we would just get, in, we would be well-versed on Romans. But Romans is such a versatile book on, the, on how to be a Christian that there's churches that that is their whole mission. I mean, there are Romans 12 churches. There are Romans 12, um, that they, that's what they name their missionary groups, is Roman 12 missionary groups. So Romans is a fantastic book on principles for Christianity. And I want to touch on, and like I said, it's, it's so detailed, there's so much that when I cover these, you're probably going to go, well, he didn't cover that. Well, he didn't cover that. Or um, he covered that, but I've heard it explained more and more in, in depth and in detail. So I was thinking about it, and what I wanted to do today is more of a skimming over of some principles to be a Christian without overanalyzing or overthinking it. Um, I want, to, I want to give like a smorgasbord, um, a golden corral, if you will. Um, I mean, everyone, you know, when you go to golden corral, I mean, I, I don't know, is anyone eating there besides me? I, uh, uh, right? So if you haven't been to golden corral, let me just tell you, um, if you get their steak, it's not the best steak. It, it, it's not close. You can go to um, Texas Roadhouse, Longhorns, Outback, you can, any of them. Pick one. Joe's on the side of the road has better steak than Golden Corral. Um, seafood, you know, shrimp is rubbery. Um, it, it's, it's, not, it's not all that good. But, 
But when you put it all together, they have a variety that pleases my palate, right? I mean, I like going in there and getting some steak. And, it, oh, look, there's shrimp. Oh, fried chicken. I can have steak, shrimp, and fried chicken all at one time. I mean, this, and if you've ever tried to feed teenagers, you know that, well, I don't know how high their price has gotten. It might still be really expensive. But I know that my boys and everyone, everybody that has a teenage boy has a story of eating. There is a eating story with a teenage boy, I guarantee. Um, when we were building the old church, I had um, a lady dropped in some pasta casserole for 20, right? And the men of the church that were there that night um, didn't know she was bringing it, and they'd already hit the Popeyes, so they were all full. And I stopped in, and I was like, oh, wow, pasta casserole, and you guys didn't touch it. No, we all had Popeyes, you know, we're, we're full. And I was like, wow. I said, well, you know, Nancy's not here right now, and I got three teenage boys. And they're like, oh, take it. It's here. It's plenty, man. You, you know, you, food for 20, it was gone in about 35 minutes with three teenagers and me. Um, so food for 20 was food for four. But, um, <laughs> but when they wanted steak, I wasn't cooking steak. I was taking them to Golden Corral. And, man, I just let they steak after steak after steak but it has a variety to please your palate um, when you go in there and so that's what I want to touch on today is to give a um, an overview of things that we need to do as Christians and being simple in being Christians in Roman chapter 10 verse 9 it says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So in this, the first thing that we need to do as Christians is to become a Christian. And Paul sets this forth, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I just want to point out that the believing in your heart is the key to this passage right here because it's not just believe in Jesus and you've heard pastors say it many times that even the demons believe in Jesus even Satan believes in Jesus and they're not saved there's people that um, that believe in Jesus and choose not to be saved they, they're like, I don't want that lifestyle. I want to do what I want to do right here. And if there's a God that makes me do his rules, then I don't want that God. There are people that believe in Jesus, yet choose opposite of Jesus. So when it talks here about believing in your heart, it is a, it's a believe in him with everything that you have, everything that's about you that you want him, it's, it's a belief in, as in knowing him, um, an intimate belief with Jesus. It's, um, I mean, I, I, I believe that there are um, motorcycle gangs out there, but I don't want to be one, so I have no interest in being with them. This is an interest of being, um, of having Jesus as your Lord and Savior. This belief in him is the desire to have what he has to offer that once you become 
um, saved that you want to pour your all into him. So this is a belief. It's something that you would do with your, with your spouse. It's something that you would do um, with someone, that, with your children that you love. You believe in your children. You pour everything into your children. This is a pouring into belief that has us saved. In Romans 12, in verses 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So, once you become saved, then by the mercies of God, we are saved because God loved us first, that we present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy. Are we holy? I, <laughs> I don't consider myself to be holy. I consider myself to be unworthy. And we have to find out, we have to search, we have to not overanalyze, but there's some basic things that we have to do to be, become holy so that we're presentable to God. And in verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So in verse 1, if it says that we want to present ourselves holy and that we're not going to be conformed to this world, then, and, and we have to have this renewing of mind, then what are we to do? And part of what we are to do is we are to lean on and utilize the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, was given to us by Jesus. He said that we would, when He leaves, that we would have another that is put into us. And this is where a lot of Christians, and I say a lot because I'm one of them, and I know if I'm doing it, there's a bunch of others doing it, is we don't lean on the Holy Spirit. I mean, we pray to God. When we, when we have our, our prayer time, or if private in your own prayer closet, we pray to God. Um, we thank Jesus for his sacrifice. Jesus is on our mind. Um, when, when things happen when we ask for favor and we get favor we should be saying thank you Jesus all of the time but how many of us focus on what the Holy Spirit is and what it is doing inside of us and how the Holy Spirit can help us it's the Holy Spirit that's going to transform us renew our mind and help us to become holy in the sight of God the Holy Spirit we should be asking in our prayers Part of our prayers is not just focus on God and not just focus on Jesus, but we should be asking daily to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does some specific things for us as Christians to help make us holy. One of the things is it makes us, or it helps you become progressively holy. Because you might be filled with the Holy Spirit um, on on. Well, let's not say day one, because day one you're usually fired up. First day of salvation, first month of salvation, maybe even the first year. And then you get into life day in and day out. And then you kind of um, forget 
where you were, where the Holy Spirit was, where you're not as fired up. But the Holy Spirit is a maturing process. It helps you mature and helps you progressively get better and better and better each day. If, if you will fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you don't, I mean, Paul already said that the man that you feed the most is the one that's going to be the strongest, right? So the Holy Spirit can make you progressively holy um, and each day better than the previous day. But how many of you know that I'm probably not the best version of me in Christianity that I've ever been, which meant that I went backwards at some point. So there was obviously not a daily progression of moving forward because if you progress every single day, even by a little bit, it's way here. But it's usually not a straight line from there to here. It's usually uh, uh, this line, and hopefully we're still getting on our steps up, but there is a downward turn on that upward curve. And so it's important when we pray daily that we ask that the Holy Spirit be inside you because He will help you become progressively holy. He gives us a pattern to live by. The Holy Spirit gives us a pattern to live by. If you pray to have the Holy Spirit inside you daily, He will, on a daily basis, um, reveal things to you that you are doing right and that you are doing wrong. And if you're truly saved and you're doing things wrong, how many know that you'll, He will convict you and pull you back on the right path? This is part of the Holy Spirit's process in being a Christian. You know, again, we, I mean, we know. We all know. We pray to God. We all talk to Jesus. But we need to get the Holy Spirit inside of us and ask for His filling on a daily basis. He guides us, convicts us, and those convictions are what help purify us and move us forward so that we can be holy. Remember, we are not of this world but are only in it for a short time. Control your mind. When you start thinking worldly, when you start going off the rails, that's when you need to ask the Holy Spirit for guidance so that you can be guided by the Holy Spirit and He will keep you in line. Can I turn a page? Uh, this next one, Romans 13, 1 and 2. Again, these are some simple things. Of not overanalyzing being a Christian. So, obey the law. In Romans 13, 1 and 2 says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. All right? So what does that say about, about us today in the United States? We are, a, we are a severely divided country today. And... We're, we're just supposed to obey the law. God's laid down the law. How many times has pastor said that 
Joe Biden's president because God wanted him to be the president. Donald Trump was the president because God wanted him to be the president. Barack Obama was the president because God wanted him and Bush and everybody that's been our president all the way through in the past. And incidentally, for those of you that are wondering whenever pastor brings up who our first president was, George Washington was about 11. I'll just tell you I did the research on it. He was our first elected president. He was the first one with a term. But um, prior to that, you can go, you can, guess what you can do? You can Google it, right? Because we had 10 presidents. The head of the house each year was considered the president of the United States. And they are listed in name, in order of who was running our country prior to our election of George Washington. So anyway, but God placed George Washington there. God places authority on the earth. He places the laws on the earth, okay? And he tells us, if it does not conflict with God's law, then we're supposed to do it. And it doesn't matter if it makes sense or not. And I got to tell you, on a Wednesday night, this subject came up, and LaShonda in the back, she was like, I'm like, yeah, it's Wednesday night. We got back and forth, right? Raise her hand. She goes, well, I heard that if you only do three miles an hour over the speed limit, the police won't give you a ticket. And I said, you're right. But what's that got to do with breaking the law, <laughs> right? And here's the sad thing is I'm on her side. I, I was struggling this morning. I had to catch myself from 72 down to 65 on the interstate because I don't know. I've been driving for a long time, um, longer than I should have because I started at 14. But, um, and I drove fast. My first car was a Challenger, and the roads were empty. I mean, I, it, I would not drive. I would not start out driving today, and I wouldn't be the same driver as if I didn't start in 1974 instead of 76 when I should have. But in 1974, there was just nobody on the road. I, today, if I feel like going fast, I, I don't weave. I'm not a guy that weaves in and out of traffic. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to race people or anything like that. I just, want, I just like driving how I like driving. And to me... There's just a comfort on each road. Like, I don't need speed limit signs, right? I just feel comfortable driving. Down. Well, here's the thing. Some roads I find that are, you know, I, I, I might be like, okay, this road, I'm comfortable at 65. And the speed limit might be 70. There's times when I found myself like, the, like man, 70 feels like you're pushing the edge a little bit, you know? Um, other times when it's 25 and it's, you know, two lanes and it's straight for three miles and you can see everything and the tree and I'm like this just doesn't feel comfortable 55 might feel comfortable then um, when I was a teenager 137 felt comfortable going to Mobile Alabama from Pensacola um, and I can attest to that many times but I could go from Pensacola to Mobile and only pass three cars none I've seen none on my side of the road from Pensacola to Mobile. Have we ever gotten on the interstates today and not seen a car? No. It just doesn't happen. So I would be a completely different driver. But, I always, but here was the thing is I always had a comfort of where I was on the road, except when I was doing 137. That was pretty, but it was a little wild. 
Um, but I'm comfortable driving down the roads at certain speeds. Certain roads just feel right. But how many of you guys know that what feels right to me is not necessarily right? Right? Because if I'm doing, I mean, it's the interstate. It's four lanes across. You should, that's 70 most places. But if the speed limit sign pops up 65 and I go, oh, 65. Well, I'm doing 72. Well, I guess two would have been too much anyway, so let me slow down to six. I got, that's a struggle for me, right? But is it contrary to God's law? Does God care if we do 65, 70? I mean, no. He says obey the law. And that's what we should do. He says to pay our taxes. We shouldn't cheat on taxes. We shouldn't, I mean, any of this stuff. You know, accountants, they'll take black and white and gray in the middle. And some accountants take all the gray because they figure, well, if you get an audit, they'll only take back part of that and you're better off than if you did not take any. And accountants go back and forth. There's so many different interpretations. But here's the thing is if you don't obey the law and you get caught, there's consequences to it. And God says that those who resist will bring judgment on themselves, right? So I can be doing 71 in a 70, and if that fool state trooper decides to pull me over for whatever is bugging him that day, and he gives me a ticket for 71 in a 70, who should I be mad at, him because he's a jerk, or me because I broke the law? Right? What? She's upset because I called him a jerk for pulling me over at 71. Right? That'd be a jerk. But I would also be breaking the law. And I would have to pay the consequences. Children. My favorite thing with Andrew, who only has, for those of you that know, have been following, he was deployed in Ukraine. It got so bad with the Russian movement, they moved him to Rota, Spain, and he's less than a week. He'll be home in a week to his family. So I give God praise for that. But my favorite thing with Andrew <clears throat> is when he would get upset and mad. and uh, I'd be like, oh, I'm glad to see that you're mad at yourself and not me. And I'm like, well, I, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm just being a good parent. I'm just holding you to the line. It, so you're, you're mad at yourself, right? You're mad at yourself because you couldn't go out and go to that party. And you tried to snake. You're mad at yourself because you snuck out. You're not mad at me because I caught you. You can't be. You, son, you, you can't be mad at me because I'm just being a good parent. I'm doing what God has told me to do. God told me to discipline. God told me to spank you. God, I'm just, I, son, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. How can you be mad at me? You must be awful mad at yourself for doing the wrong thing. Dude, you talk about driving somebody crazy. I know Jennifer is laughing. She's going to go and use that on her kids. I know, right? Because that's awesome. But here's the thing. Very simply, as Christians, we need to be saved. We need to pray. We need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to believe everything inside of us about Him. We need to ask for the Holy Spirit daily. The Holy Spirit will convict us on things that we're not supposed to be doing. And we should obey the law. Right? That's very simple outward things that we need to do. That's not a whole lot of overanalyzing. Probably could have gotten through that in the 30 seconds it just took me to read that or say that to you. 
in Romans 15, 1 and 2, it says, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. As Christians, we're all in this together. Like, we're brothers and sisters. We are God's body. We're his hands, his feet. We are working with each other. And we should be working with each other. And none of us are better than the other. Um, when we're working in unity with God, we should not be thinking, well, I, you know, I, I, do this on, um, I do this every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And I know they don't, so that makes me... Be no. We each have our place within, God's, within Christ's body. We each have the things that we are supposed to be doing and moving forward with. We each have our own functions um, within ourselves. We should, if, if we are stronger in one area than somebody else, then we should lend to that person. We should love them. We should um, get with them. We should strengthen them in that area. If somebody is, I mean, I'll just be honest. Yesterday, we were driving down the road, and Cedric's like, what's the speed limit here? Right? He's bringing me back. Right? Hit. My strength is not going the speed limit. It's a weakness. Right? I struggle with it. I get called on it. I got called out. That's something we should be doing. We should be, if we're strong in something, if we're strong in prayer, if we're strong in, um, in helping, if we're strong in serving, and somebody asks, then we should, or if we see the need, we need to be reaching out and seeing the need and helping others. We should be using our strengths to help the weaker, and it says that we are um, doing that for our edification, which is a um, improving yourself morally, right? So if you think because, well, I'm the one, I'm the one that everybody has to turn to, and I'm so strong that I just need to help, you know, this person and this person, and I, I'm just helping out. That's not doing anything for you. That's pride. But you are supposed to do that in a humble way, and you reach out and you help humbly others, and that is going to increase you morally. That is going to help you. Everything that we do has a purpose, and God tells us that we as that are stronger should help those that are weaker. In same chapter, verses 5 and 6, it says, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may, with one mind and one mouth, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. One mind... Be like-minded towards each other. We all want to be on the same page. We all want to be moving for the same thing. Is it hot in here? No? I feel like we should open the doors right now. I'm, I'm burning up up here. Um, we need to be of one mind. We need to be moving towards one goal, right? And 
as one body, we have to understand that there's no part of that body that is better than the other. I mean, you could sit here and look at the human body and go, well, the brain's the most important part. Well, if the brain didn't have the body to go along with it, then it wouldn't get much good done, you know. Um, nobody says that the mouth is, is the best part because the Bible says that your tongue is deceitfully wicked. Um, it just steers all things wrong. Um, your hands. You can't pick stuff up with your hands. One could argue that your hands are the most important thing in the body. Your feet, your legs. If you didn't have those, um, you know, you wouldn't be able to go anywhere. You wouldn't be able to walk. I mean, there's so many. You, you can each, if, if, if we were arguing over the body of Christ and you were this part or this part of it, you could argue different functions of a body as to which one is more important. But the, the whole thing that we have to understand and realize as Christians is that it takes all of this to make all of this work, <laughs> you know, and, and, and some of us don't work that well. But um, we all have to act. We all have to be of one mind. We have to be like-minded. We have to bear each other's burdens. And we have to remember that we are brothers and sisters. We are all in it together, okay? We are all in it together. In Romans... Um, 16, back to our opening verse, chapters 19, says, For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. I'm, so Paul has gone, this is, 16 is the last chapter in Romans, and Paul has gone through this whole setup of things in general that we should be doing as Christians. And when you get into some of the other books, as I talked about earlier, if you get into Galatians, Philippians, any of the others, um, Ephesians, he is addressing specific concerns. And there are some specific things that he tells us that we have to um, avoid. Things that, you know, you won't, you won't see the kingdom of heaven if you live this lifestyle. And he lists out a whole bunch of things in that lifestyle. And again, Romans is not, he hasn't met these people, so he doesn't know that they have any specific things that are going on. So he's talking to them in a generality. Um, but he says, I want you to be wise in what is good. And wise in what is good is all these things that he has covered and touched on, on how to be a Christian. And then he answers this, is wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. Right? So... What does it mean to be simple concerning evil? Well, it's pretty simple. If it's bad, you don't do it. Right? Now, that's a simple phrase, but why would he put that in there? Because sometimes we overanalyze things a little bit. Right? So, I like... Um, it's, it's so funny because Pastor Will, he loves MMA. Right, and he talks about, oh, I don't watch R-rated movies because they got the blood and the shoot 'em up and all that kind of stuff in it, right? And this just goes through my mind. Now, I'm, I don't like pain. I mean, I, I don't run away from it, but it's not fun. I'm not that type of person that enjoys pain. And here's the thing, MMA. 
is real. Like, that's real. Like, when I watch MMA, I get queasy sick to my stomach when that dude's got his shoulder and he goes and pops out a joint or the bone snaps or he's beating him in the face and there's just blood just coming. I mean, to me, that's real. I'm like, ugh, I can't get those visions out of my mind, right? But, um, uh, what was it? Not, not Rocky, what was Stallone's other big series where he was the Rambo. Rambo. Yeah, you see that one Rambo where the guy was running down the hill and he's hiding behind a tree and he's got that knife that's that long? And, dude, he reaches out and boom! And pulls like that, sticks there, pulls all the way over. The special effects we have these and Nancy's covering her face. Special effects we've got these days, this body's rolling down the hill and like half of it's flopping this way and half of it's flopping the other. And guts are coming out blood. And I'm like, yeah! That is so cool. Did you see that scene? I call up Andrew. Oh, dude, you got to go see where There's this one scene where it just like, and he's just, right? Because you, for me, okay, for me, that, this, it's not real. It's made up. It's Hollywood. Right? But pastor can't watch that, but he can watch MMA. So I don't know. But here's the thing. Is when we see action movies, when I see action movies come out now, I look at it and it's like, oh, that's R. And I'll just go to something else. Because I have gotten to that point in my maturity as a Christian that I know that I shouldn't be feeding a bunch of junk into my mind. But before I was a mature or on my way to becoming a mature Christian, in my process, when I was still in my process and I was trying to be like a child um, and, or a teenager and questioning everything that my father said, and um, it's like, well, let's just see. Because they give you the little thing up in the corner, right, when you're watching it at home, and it gives you a little thing, and it'll say um, R for violence, sex, language, nudity, whatever, right? So in my day, I'm like, okay, well, let's just see what that says. Oh, that says violence. Okay, well, I don't mind violence. So as long as it didn't say sex and nudity, I was okay, right? Because if I was watching sex and nudity on the big screen in my house and Nancy walked in, we'd be divorced and I wouldn't be up here today. That is not worth anything me going to that point for, right? Because I love my wife. So that's something I ain't going to watch. However, violence... Um, she'll just walk into the other room and, you know, I can just sleep on the couch one night. That's not like getting a divorce. But then, and then the next, so, right, so sex and nudity, that's out for me. But violence, well, that's okay, right? And then language. Ugh. Yeah, I'm stuck on language. Ugh. Well, you know, some language is worse than others. Yeah, okay. If they say the F word six times in the first five minutes, then I'm going to turn it off. Right? So I start, uh, that, that's what I used to do. I used to justify these things. I would look at this. But how many of you know that now on a PG-13, you ain't going to get by the language? It's PG-13 has horrible language in it and sexual innuendos and everything. So if it says R, you might as well just scratch it completely. Right? So here's the thing. Simple concerning, concerning evil. We all test the waters. We all push the limit. I push the limit on speed. Um, we, we reach in and touch our toes on, um, on, on TV. Um, you know, uh, other people, I mean, I mean, I just know I can bring those two excuses or those two examples up because those are my two. But everybody in here has got something different. 
Everyone in here has a different thing that they struggle with. Everyone in here has something that, that nags on them and works on them and that we need to work on. And here's the thing. We're God, um, Paul said that we're to present ourselves to God holy. And the job of the Holy Spirit, if we're asking him to fill us daily, the job of the Holy Spirit is to guide us and correct us and convict us and to keep us going the wrong way, right? So, simple concerning evil simply means if you have to put boundaries on it, if you have to put ratings, well, okay, if it says this and then, and then this. And then, no, if you are trying to justify where it falls in the line of evil then you aren't going to make it. It simply should be gone. It simply shouldn't be done. If you have to, if you look at R on the top left corner of the screen and don't just turn it off, then you're not being led by the Holy Spirit. If you're trying to justify yourself, you are trying to follow your own lustful heart. You're trying because the Bible says that our, our hearts are evil beyond what we can imagine. I mean, we are, in general, horrible people. All of us are. No matter how good we are, we are unworthy, we are not good people, and left to our own devices, well, I mean, you can see what's going on in the world. Just multiply that times about 20 more. If you took all the Christians out of the world, um, there was a time when um, China, you know, they, they didn't recognize, they wouldn't allow Bibles. Um, but there was a time maybe 10, 15 years ago when China didn't encourage Christianity, but China encouraged to live like Christians. Because if we're living the way we're supposed to be doing, if we are loving our neighbor, if we are obeying the law, if we are being wise in what is good, then they know that their business practices, the, the, the Chinese realize that if, we were, if you're, everyone was doing what they're supposed to be doing, then their form of government would work. And in reality, in reality, Communism, on paper, is the best, it's really the best out there. Because it is everybody pitching in and sharing so that it's all, so that everybody has an elevated lifestyle. That everybody is taken care of. That everybody is sleeping in a warm bed. And that everybody has plenty of food. In theory, that is the way communism works. In theory. Because in reality, that's not how it works because there's people that are bad, there's people that are lazy, there's people that won't pitch in. As a matter of fact, um, and I, I preached um, Thanksgiving a few years ago, and I was actually, while researching it, um, came across this fact that the, um, that the pilgrims started out in a communist society. Each pilgrim was given a plot of land, and they were all 
supposed to work that land and then jointly they were supposed to bring that together and then they were going to divide it all out so that those that grew potatoes didn't have potatoes for six, you know, for, for 60 people or 100 people, but they had potatoes for them, but then they'd give it to the corn, and the corn people would get theirs, and the peas would get theirs, and, every, and, and it was, would all work together. And when they all brought it in, some people worked really hard and had bountiful crops, while others, eh, we're not, you know, I'm work, uh, it's cold outside today. I don't know that I'm going to go out there. Um, and their crops came in much less. But when it was distributed, they distributed it equal. And the have-nots went, whoo, I'm getting the same amount as they are. I ain't going, if I work even less, it'll be okay. Because I'm going to get the same amount. And that is what almost caused the downfall of the pilgrims. And, and, and after that first year, year and a half, they separated it up and they allotted you know, you had your property, but you did. You got allotted to your portion. They allowed you to come in and sell your product. And so people would come in and they would sell their products. And those that had more um, got more money and then they could buy more stuff. And those that didn't, all of a sudden, they're like, wow, if I don't work. So capitalism was born in um, Plymouth Rock because they tried communism and it didn't work. Um, but I don't even know how I got off on the communism, except that um, we should be working together in a, um, as one body, right? And we want to be simple when it's concerning evil. And then let's look at 20, because check out the benefits for doing what he just said. In chapter 20 it says, And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. That's the benefit. So you cannot obey evil and you can have judgment brought down in on top. I mean, you can, you can obey evil and you can have judgment brought down in on you. And it is brought on you. You are bringing it on you. And if, but if that's not enough of a deterrent, if the negative is not enough of the deterrent that you have brought judgment down on you, then flip to the other side and look at the positive. Because if you do the things that you're supposed to do, then the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. And you will have the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for extending yourself, being here, being amongst us, knowing our hearts, knowing our thoughts, knowing our minds, and being a true father to us. Lord, we thank you for the words that you've given us. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to talk to you and to hear you through your word when you talk to us. Lord, I would just ask that you would bless each and every one of us that are here in this service today. Impress upon us. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Not just today. Convict us daily, Lord. Remind us 
We need to invite the Holy Spirit in. We need to continue to overflow in your blessings, in your spirit, so that we might become progressively holy, Lord, so that we can be holy in your sight. Lord, just ask now, as we leave this place, that you would protect each and every one of us and our families. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.